2: Live from the Nasdaq market side overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Tim Seymour in Vegas. Dan Nathan, Steve Grasso, and Pete Najarian joins us in just moments. Tonight on Fast, we are all over the after hours action. Tesla, IBM, and Las Vegas sands all three stocks on the move right now on earnings. The calls for IBM and LVS are now underway. Tesla's kicks off at the bottom of the hour. We'll bring you all the big headlines from those quarters. Plus, crafting a deal. Sources telling CNBC that PayPal is in late stage talks to buy Pinterest. What a tie-up could mean for these two companies. And we're trading this record rally. The Dow hitting a fresh all-time high today. We'll break down where our traders see the market headed next. But we start off with an earnings alert on Tesla shares of the EV maker under a little bit of pressure in the after hours after reporting its results. Let's get to Phil LeBeau with more on the company's quarter. Phil.
3: Melissa, I'm not surprised to see the stock selling off a little bit. Remember, it's had a heck of a move higher over the last couple of months, especially over the last month after the better-than-expected deliveries in the third quarter. This was a record third quarter in terms of profit for Tesla. Look at what they earned for the third quarter: a buck 86 a share. That was comparing with estimates of a buck 59 revenue, also a record 13.76 billion, well above estimates. Automotive gross margins x zero-emission vehicle credits. 28.8%. For some perspective, most analysts were expecting it to be closer to 245 maybe 25%. So much stronger than expected there. And It's all set up by record deliveries in the third quarter. They delivered a little over 241,000 vehicles in the third quarter, now on pace to deliver well over 800,000 vehicles. At least that's the expectation uh, once they report their fourth quarter numbers. Perhaps we'll get some clarity during the conference call in a little bit. And speaking of the conference call, here's what people are going to be focused on. First of all, Do they give us any better clarity on what's happening with the gigafactories in Berlin and in Texas? When do they actually start production? It's supposed to happen before the end of the year. Do we get a little more detail about that? Also, what's happening with the semiconductor chip supply as well as the supply chain? What's the outlook there? Remember, Tesla did better than other automakers managing the chip crisis during the third quarter. And finally, will Elon be on? in terms of will he be on the call remember and during the last conference call he said that he was likely going to step back from doing some of these earnings conference calls unless he felt that uh, the call warranted for uh, him to be on we'll see what happens whether it's him uh, or other tesla executives instead of him as you take a look at shares of tesla i mentioned that the stock has been moving higher look at the stock in the last one month you look at the last week it has been on a tear. The earnings call starts at five thirty Melissa, but again, a record third quarter record quarterly profits for Tesla earning a buck eighty six a share well above the expectations. Melissa
2: oh, I hope Elon is on it 's always much more amusing when, when Elon Musk makes an appearance on those oh, conference calls, Phil you know the twenty five thousand vehicle yeah the twenty five thousand vehicle seems to be the key to getting uh, uh, Tesla into emerging markets and sort of developing countries, making a much more global yep. brand, more affordable brand. Do you think we'll get any sort of guidance on that?
3: You know, we talked about this, what, three or four weeks ago when there was mm-hmm. a Tesla event and Elon Musk was giving us an update. And, in fact, Gene Munster was on. He goes, boy, I hope we hear about the $25,000 vehicle. And Elon Musk said, I'm not going to talk about a $25,000 vehicle. That's that's not <laughs> what we're focused on right now. So remember, that was a lot of people were expecting it then. So. I know we bring this up. It seems like every conference call or at least every event where Elon is speaking, will he finally give us some clarity in regards to that? Um, I'm not holding my breath.
2: All right, Phil, thanks. Keep us posted on the call. Phil LeBeau with Tesla's earnings. When Phil said heck of a run up into earnings, he meant 18 percent in the past month and 31 percent in the past three months going into this print. The stock is down just under a percent, Tim. And so the reaction in that context is pretty good.
4: I have to tip the hat in terms of this being a low-vol stock suddenly. It speaks to at least where they've removed a lot of the uncertainties around the business. And and the valuation is not something that's necessarily – I know growth stocks get punished when they don't grow, um, but you can't say Tesla's not growing here. So, um, yes, very impressive. I I will say that, um, you know, even if you annualize this $1.83 number and, you know, third-quarter profitability, fantastic – the pushback is valuation. But, but, you know, if you get eight bucks a share annualized in 2021 and you take that out to 2025 and, and you say 40 bucks a share, which is obviously five times, this is still a stock trading almost 30 times. And, and so that's the issue here. It's not the execution. It'll be very interesting to hear Elon talk a little bit about margins because a company that's been so successful being more vertically integrated than some of their competitors on chips and other parts of the supply chain is, is still spending money. I heard Elon say it, at his investor day, they've been spending a lot of money in flying parts around the world, et cetera, et cetera. It implies they can be more profitable in the future. You know how I feel about the valuation, so I can't jump on the bandwagon here, but these are, these are good numbers.
2: Steve, what do you think about valuation? I mean, do you think this is the kind of stock that you have to just sort of hold your nose? I mean, it's clearly, at least right now, the market leader in EVs. Um, I don't know if GM or Ford has that runway to the number of cars that Tesla is currently selling, the rate at which they're selling them.
5: Yeah, I think think you do have to hold your nose. This is one that I actually missed. I wanted to buy this after that split announcement uh, last summer and the stock ran up. So to Tim's point, you have, uh, there's a bunch of levers they can pull. And quite frankly, the fact that they can make a car more efficient than the standard car makers is, the, is leading the pack in the, in the tailwind. Having said that, you have energy storage, you have batteries, so you have services, you have the full self-drive that's coming on. They're way ahead of the pack there as well. I think GM is the closest to them on full self-drive, but once again, if you look at the chart, it looks perfect. There could be a, a, a double top issue around the 900 level, but this is something where he can pull that that lever again on another stock split. I wouldn't put it beyond him. He can say it's about energy storage. Oh, and yeah, he could talk about another coin that he wants to get behind. So there's tremendous amount of levers that the other car companies don't have. So yes, I think at at a certain point, you
2: got to hold your nose and just buy it. Uh, Dan Nathan, did this print, did this quarter confirm or affirm Tesla's run that we've seen over the past few months?
6: Well, it's interesting, and I'm sure Pete's been taking a look at this. The options market was only applying mm-hmm. about a $35 move tomorrow in either direction on an $865 stock. Um That is like minuscule. That stock normally could move that um, intraday, you know what I mean, without any news like that. So the run up 55 percent from the May lows, you just talked about the stock being up about 15 percent in the last month alone. I mean, it really reminds me of that run into Netflix's print last night when we were talking about it. It's like, what were they going to do to get this stock going higher? Um, You know, and and we already had deliveries, that sort of thing. The margin news is great. Uh, Listen, Again, the stock's at eight sixty five it has an eight hundred and sixty five billion dollar market cap that's greater than i don 't know fifty sixty percent of the global market cap of autos, okay, right there, and they have less than 5% market share. So if you tell me that you're not worried about that other competition who actually knows how to make cars, maybe not as profitable on the scale in which they're doing it right now as far as Tesla with a 28.8 gross margin, I just kind of say to myself, this is just like the most unhinged thing I've ever seen. I'm not railing against it. I don't own it. I'm not short it. I'm not that dumb, you know what I mean? But it doesn't make a whole (laughs) heck of a lot of sense that anything that you see in this print is... He's going to make you run out and buy the stock here.
2: Dan always delivers memorable lines. And I think the, the memorable line out of that um, little monologue was unhinged. Uh, Pete, do you think that this is the most unhinged thing out there, as he calls it?
7: You know what? It's always been that same stock though, Mel, right? I mean, the, the idea is that, that he delivers and they delivered on the deliveries. They've also delivered on the margins. They continue to be the leader in the EV space. They've got over 60% of the market share there, so there's a lot of different positives that I think we can focus on, and there are the negatives. Of course, you look at valuation, you can't even look at that valuation. It's it's crazy, but the reality is, they just continue to get data. They continue to deliver, and, it, and I think the fact that Elon Musk has so many different ways that he can pull levers, I think that gives him a very, very leading position that he can hold on to that lead and continue to move to the upside, and it's not just about the cars themselves. It's about energy and production of energy and all of the things that go into what Tesla really has become over all these years. It's an impressive move. And I think when you look at this today, I think the interesting part is, there were a lot of option buyers over the last week or two, and Dan was talking about some of the movement expected. I can tell you this, they were buying the 850 strike calls last week, huge numbers melt, and they were rolling those up from already great numbers that they'd already delivered. So this is one of these where I think you do have to close, you know what, you got to plug your nose, you got to look at this and use the options. I think that's the real key here. Because when you look at that stock, yes, the price is unbelievable. But with the- the options it gives you that risk reward where you know exactly how much you have on the table to risk and what type of reward you can get. So the options market continues to be the way you want to play this stock.
4: At 10? Tim, can I ask Pete and Dan, the our options mavens, a question about Tesla, because historically um, this has been such a volatile stock. And, Pete, you're recommending options. Is this is this as good of a time, not only in terms of where the stock trades, but has implied vol gone down enough in this that that actually really makes options and Tesla for the first time uh, more attractive than they've ever been?
7: Pete, why don't you Pete. It? I think so. Uh, yeah, I, I think so. And I'll let Dan uh, respond as well. But I, when I look at the, Tim, you're 100% right. When I look at the implied volatilities, what it once was, where it used to be in the couple hundred percent type of implied volatility versus where it is now, that has come in immensely. Also, I think that a lot of people who get more and more sophisticated here, you can make spreads. You can have 20 and 30 and $50 spreads where you're able to get in there and still position yourself for the upside or the downside, either direction. Whatever, wherever you want to go with Tesla, whatever your gut is telling you as far, as far as the direction. My gut tells me the direction continues to be higher, and I'd rather be in the calls rather than the
2: puts. If only there were a show about using options. Oh, there is on Fridays. All right. Um, let's get more on Tesla's latest quarter. Let's bring in Fast Money friend Gene Munster, partner at Loop. Gene, great to see you. Um, I know that you're a bull. I know you love this quarter, except for maybe the solar and energy line uh, of, the, of the puzzle. But in terms of margin, this is what really grabbed me with, in your Twitter feed, and that is that you would expect Tesla to have margins the size of apples in just a few years. What does a roadmap look like to get there?
8: So there are three pieces. The first is just uh, better efficiencies related to Giga Austin and Giga Berlin. These are new factories from the ground up. This is something that traditional auto is not doing. They're retrofitting existing factories. New factories means uh, better alignment, productivity, and uh, margin impact. Second is FSD. This is a little bit elusive. Uh, It's a topic in of itself. But eventually, FSD, I think uh, whether or not they get to full self-driving, they're going to have enough there where they can charge more for it, and that is software revenue. And the third piece is around batteries and the components. And as those continue to decline, what Tesla is doing around batteries is a half or full or three steps ahead of the rest of the battery industry. And I think that those three combined get you to that 40 percent. And I want to bring that point uh, back to a theme, uh, and the theme is to hold the nose when it comes to Tesla valuation. If you subscribe that this growth can continue, and that is uh, quite impressive, 73% delivery growth versus the big auto in September, down 23%, I mean, something is going on here. If you believe that this growth can continue, you can see a company that goes from, call it 70 billion in revenue next year to 400 billion. And I'm gonna get to the the, the point, my point here around profitability, is that uh, if they do in fact inch these margins higher, gross margins up to 40%, let's say in the next three years, they're gonna get an Apple-like multiple that is six times revenue and that would equate to about a $2,500 stock. Now, five years out, a lot can happen between now and then. But there was much more to this quarter than meets the eye. And I think the substance of what the revenue growth and the profitability trend uh, is, I think this is still a great opportunity to own Tesla for the long term.
2: We were just talking to Adam Jonas and Morgan Stanley yesterday, Gene, and he was saying that the market, he thought, underestimates the manufacturing piece of this puzzle, which you highlighted as well. The fact that Tesla can build factories from the ground up and use new technologies like a gigapress, for instance, to really um, reap efficiencies, like making the chassis out of one single piece. Uh, How much of this is, I mean, how much of this is far away, how much of this is within the near future? Because I would imagine that this is an important piece of the puzzle when it comes to getting a $25,000 vehicle onto the market.
8: Exactly, you have to, a big part is this manufacturing answer question is how far is it away? It's uh, a few months away from initial production in Austin and Berlin and probably a year and a half away from uh, really hitting scale production. And so uh, we're, you know, this isn't going to happen overnight. The margins aren't going to jump. You're not going to have those efficiencies overnight. But, you know, if you have the luxury of investing I would consider that owning something for more than a year, I think you're just going to continue to see those manufacturing efficiencies find their way into the gross margin.
2: What's uh, the number one question you'd ask Elon Musk if he were on this call?
8: I, I want him to know uh, how realistic is he to have full FSD that is general availability. That's one that uh, you can trust. There's a lot that goes into that, but when he believes that, they are uh, it's, uh, it's, it's uh, really uh, noteworthy that they are keep pushing forward in the, these betas. and uh, there must be something there. there must be some concept of a timeline because once that happens, I mean I think there is a, a huge turn in terms of how investors even more, optimistically think about the multiple on Tesla.
2: All right, Gene, I'm going to let you get ready for that call. Ajit Munster of Loop Ventures, the call again underway in just about 15 minutes time. We'll see if Elon Musk makes an appearance on that one. Um, Pete, what's your number one question for Elon Musk if he were there?
7: Well, quite honestly, uh, it it sounds crazy, but I actually would. And I think Tim was the one who brought this up, talking about Bitcoin and some of the other different types of places that he might try to have investment part pieces of this company because we already know enough, I think, about what the direction is, what the company's doing and what the, the direction is in terms of which type of vehicles he wants to sell. Obviously not the low end. He wants the higher end and he wants those margins. But I'd be curious about what his thoughts are going forward in terms of some of those investment ideas as well.
2: We've got an earnings alert meantime on IBM. We're tracking those shares lower in the after hours. The company's call is underway. Let's get to Deidre Bosa, who's back with the details. Hey, Debo.
9: Hey, Melissa. We'll see you. Arvind Krishna opening up the call, acknowledging that in some areas, the results did fall short of their own expectations. The streets as well. He said that the upcoming spinoff of the legacy business is just one of many actions that he's taking to focus the business on hybrid cloud and A.I. and improve its financial profile. But of course, Big Blue continues to be dogged by the same question For years now, can it actually turn the ship? Despite all the company's talk of next generation tech like hybrid cloud and AI, it missed revenue expectations, net income's declining, and it continues to disappoint investors and underperformed the broader markets and its gray chip peers. Even its cloud segment, guys, showed some decelerating sequential growth. And of the four major divisions, only global business services beat the street's forecast. Systems revenue, I want to point out as well, because that includes hardware. It was down nearly 12 percent this quarter, despite a pickup in IT spending amid the pandemic. There was no guidance either, guys. We are getting ready for that spinoff on November 3rd. But there's some skepticism. Um, whether, of course, IBM can turn that ship. Melissa, back to you.
2: Deidre, thank you. Deidre will be on the call. Deidre Bosa, um, systems, they're saying, was soft because of a mainframe upgrade that's happening the first half of next year. But if you take a look at the cloud business, I mean, up two and a half percent. Tim, I don't know, can you, can you make the case for IBM after all of these quarters of disappointments?
4: Look, Red Hat was a great acquisition, but it's not enough to pull this thing. They're not going to grow revenue. The top line won't grow for five years. And, and it's a company that also, I, I think, forget the, the risk that may be around their accounting and what's truly going on there. I, it's more that I think they have to make acquisitions. And so for investors, uh, there's no free cash flow here that's coming back to you for a company that's not you know, growing the top line anytime soon. These are the things to be concerned about. A stock that's underperformed the triple Q's or the Nasdaq 100 by 700 basis points this year. It's not getting better. And and so, again, uh, yeah, you need to see more cloud growth. But it's impossible for Red Hat to pull this giant ship uh, and turn it around overnight.
2: I mean, Red Hat was up 17 percent in the quarter, and that certainly wasn't enough. Grasso? Yeah,
5: Yeah, when I look at it, it's counterintuitive uh, to what you would expect from uh, when i 'm talking about tech here, this was I picked this years ago as my secular short. but when I look at it now i, I think i 'd be a buyer of it here a it 's cheap it fits into that value value bucket uh, b you have a yield of four point six percent you 're not buying a stock for that, but it does fit really into that value bucket nicely and if we start to see rates rise, I think that this can really outperform if i told you that this one is up twelve percent and it's outperformed apple for the year you would scratch your head right so think about that what would you do with apple here you're not going to call that a secular short you're not going to call that something that you should dump right now it's a value it's a value tech stock so i think that we're throwing out ibm a little uh, too early or a little too late, however, you want to look at your timeline. I think that it's actually worth buying on this, believe it
2: or not. Contrarian view there. All right, coming up some interest in Pinterest. PayPal reportedly in talks to acquire the social media company. The deal could be worth nearly $40 billion, but doesn't make any sense. One top analyst sure thinks so. He'll tell us why straight ahead. And later, we're all over the after-hours action shares of Las Vegas Sands. The stock is moving lower on earnings. The call is underway. We'll tell you what the casino giant is saying about the future when Fast Money returns.
9: Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful?
2: We've got an after-hours alert on HPQ. Let's get to Kate Rooney with the details. Kate. Hey, Melissa. HP Inc. stock up 3% here after hours. This is after the company announced fiscal 2022 outlook and is raising its annual dividend by 29%. That's to a dollar per share. The company also reiterating fiscal 2021 Uh, And that financial outlook, the stock had fallen into the close of CEO earlier, telling MarketWatch that PC shipments would be hampered by supply chain issues heading into next year. But again, stock here uh, up after hours after raising its dividend. Back to you. All right, Kate, thanks. Kate Rooney. Well, investors closing out a record day on Wall Street with the Dow hitting a fresh all-time high. The S&P 500 inching closer to new records with its sixth straight day of gains. All this comes as yields continue to move higher The 10-year yield hitting its highest level since May 20th. Dan, you wouldn't think that uh, stocks and yields would move together at this point.
6: Well, it was interesting, Mel. I don't know if you caught this at about 1.15 or so when yields started ticking up, you know, to 1.63, 1.64 in the 10-year. The stock market sold off kind of quickly. It was after um, an auction, I think, that was worse than expected in the Treasury market. And so that was maybe a little bit of a preview if we were to see the 10-year yield take out those highs from March. I mean, listen, you could say that the the move that we had off the highs in September, about 5 percent or so peak to trough had to do with rising rates, but it also had to do with a whole host of other things, inflation fears, growth deceleration, that sort of thing. So to me, I still think stagflation is a story here. And I think that Q3 guidance or Q4 guidance, excuse me, that we're going to get from a lot of big companies over the next few weeks is really going to help tell the tale because you've seen the Q3 GDP expectations have gone from you know high to, to mid single digits down to basically nothing. And so the question is, are we going to get that in Q4? Um, and Q1 back. And I just don't know. And maybe yields are saying something a little differently. And maybe stocks, if they can't break out in a meaningful manner, um, now that you have the S&P and the Dow back near the highs, then you do have the potential for another retest of last week's lows or so.
2: I mean, if you take a look at that, we've been talking about um, stock moves on earnings in the, in the context of the setup going into earnings. And if you take a look at the, at the uh, overall indices as well as the move in yields, Tim, I would think that this is not a particularly good setup going into the thick of earnings season when you have yields tick higher um, and moving steadily higher over the past few months with the S&P 500 close to record highs at this point.
4: Well, we came into earnings with expectations that were very challenged, and, and we, you know, we had some of the seasonal dynamics for markets. We, we certainly had growth scares. We had all kinds of Fed concerns, both with the institution, uh, with continuity, with rates, with tapering. Uh, S&P is up 5.6 percent in the last 10 sessions. I mean, this is as big of a run as it's had um, in really any period during the markets. And again, I know we're now maybe setting up into seasons that start to look a lot better. Um, When when we get that mega cap tech week that's right around the corner here, um, uh, you know, it puts a lot of pressure on those names. NASDAQ has actually outperformed tech. Um, But again, the VIX sub 16 equals, you know, danger. Will Robinson, folks, this is again from a from a volatility or a complacency perspective. The market sits uh, at lows that that really are post-COVID lows for volatility. So that alone is something to be worried about. The interesting thing is that the most cyclical parts of the market. So I mentioned you know, tech, but it's really industrials and transports. That transport stock two weeks ago looked awful um, and now has really recovered. So uh, I think higher rates are actually good for the market. And I think that's what they're showing here.
2: Quick question here. Quick question. Danger Will Robinson. Where is that from? <laughs>
4: That's from uh, Lost in Space. Lost in Space. Lost Come in on, space. Mr. Hand, the whole crew. It was, it right, okay, I'll Google before it. Before your time, Mel. I, I mean, will Google it. A youthful young lady like yourself. Yes.
2: We are just getting started here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next.
7: Is PayPal the next social butterfly? The company in talks to buy Pinterest. So what could the deal mean for the fintech stock? Plus. What's in a name? The big report on a Facebook facelift that got all of us talking tonight. We'll bring you the details. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market side in Times Square. We're back right after this.
2: Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production. And they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. Welcome back to Fast Money. A potential deal in the payment space sending shares of Pinterest surging today. A source confirming to CNBC's Kate Rooney that the social media company is in late stage talks to be acquired by PayPal. The shares under pressure today on the back of the report. For more on what a deal could mean for this fintech firm, let's bring in Dan Dolov. He covers PayPal at Mizuho Securities. Dan, great to have you again. Um, the stock was down five percent. It seems like it would get this sort of deal would get it away from being a fintechy fintech.
1: Yeah, or alternatively, again, thanks for being you know, always great to be on the show, or alternatively, it's another way for them to get deeper into e-commerce into their internet and integrate fintech into internet, right? Because if you think about it, a lot of internet names like Facebook are getting into payments, so maybe PayPal's action today is that counteraction of them getting into internet, so it's a tit for tat that they're doing right there.
2: That that seems like getting into the Internet by brute force, though, Dan, I mean, (laughs) don't don't want to use PayPal as their preferred payment method without PayPal having to acquire a platform. I mean, when I when I first read this, I thought, why does PayPal need to do this? And does this indicate that there is something lacking in PayPal's growth prospects that it has to look for a deal like this?
1: Yeah, I think you're making a great point. So I like, guess the fear in the market today, and that's, you know, we expressed it in our note as well, is that everyone who was looking for the net ads, they got it to over 50 million of net ads in uh, fiscal 21. And I think the fear is that, you know, e-commerce is slowing, net ads are slowing, so they need something to bolster growth. But I think if there's a long-term strategic rationale here, it's actually getting deeper into that vertical integration into e-commerce and maybe potentially in the future going after a company like Shopify or, or Amazon. Uh, so this could be just one more building block in that long term plan. But I agree with you. There's a lot of eyebrows today in the market, and that's reflected in the uh, PayPal stock price.
6: Hey, Dan, you know, when I look at a deal or a potential deal like this, you know, the history of large, you know, M&A, strategic M&A in tech is not great, right? And so here's a company I think to Mel's point is that, you know, Pinterest saw, you know, 91 million monthly active users in that last quarter. It was decelerating. It was disappointing. The stock got hit. And and I would just say that, listen, these guys just went public two years ago. Um, Isn't there a longer runway for this company um, to, you know, rather than immediately get gobbled up by a big payments company that is also seeing accelerating growth. Isn't there a path forward with maybe a bricks and mortar retailer like a Walmart or something like that? Because I could see Pinterest being a massive, um, you know, feature for a Walmart who is actually making some good inroads in e-commerce away from grocery. Yeah, look, it's
1: a great point. But I think there might be sort of like a confluence of interests here, right? So, I mean, I don't cover Pinterest, but as I was doing work today, you're seeing, you know, the COVID bump in terms of their user base just spike. And to your point, it's been decelerating ever since. So, you know, they might be under pressure to maybe kind of uh, sell to someone and then PayPal on their own end are kind of seeing, you know, e-commerce low, which has nothing to do with them. It's just sort of that post-COVID kind of hangover. And the confluence of those interests is what's creating like maybe a good combination of sort of, a, a, you know, a good price, but also some long-term strategic benefit that they could not get by not, you know, by each one being on their own.
2: Dan, great to speak with you. Dan Dolov of Thank you. Um Steve, what, what would you make of this tie-up? So I, I think
5: it was interesting. Truist actually put out a piece saying that they thought they were better off buying a, a, a processor. And I immediately looked at a Lightspeed, that's a $14 billion company, or a Toast, which is a $25 billion company. They could buy both of those for cheaper than what they're paying or the same amount that they're paying for pinterest and it gives them more exposure to where they want to be so i don't like it
2: Pete Najar. pete by the way was i don't know where he was in some sort of cellar. we fixed his audio but he's on the phone now um, i've been getting tweets free pete like nobody knows where you are they think you're like locked up someplace anyway you're on the phone what do you think of of paypal potentially buying pinterest
10: I actually think it makes a lot of sense when you when you really look at their monthly users for both and they're very close to one another, 400-plus million monthly users. I think it makes a lot of sense. And, and I think if they were able to get it anywhere close to where the price is right now, Mel, all you got to do is go back to earlier in the year, and you could find back in February and April, this is an $85 stock. And I'm looking at it, and I look from a valuation perspective right now of Pinterest. It's pretty amazing, actually. It's a $40 billion market cap, and yet this is a company with $2 billion in cash, it got almost no debt. They got great cash flow, and they traded a forward PE of about forty. So when I look at this company, I think it. I think it really would make. Uh, first of all, I think it would make a good match. But second of all, I think they're getting it for the right price. And as a matter of fact, if you look across the industries right now, I think the price that they would be paying actually makes a lot of sense going forward for PayPal. But we'll see. I mean, there's a lot of different things that have to go go right. But we've seen a lot of option paper in there. We saw some monstrous paper just a week or so ago. They were dead on as far as the timing of this whole thing, as far as the announcement. But I think we have to see when will this actually happen. And if it does happen in November, I think it's going to be at a price a lot higher than we are right
2: now. Tim, you're you're grimacing and you're shaking your head, so I feel like you don't like this.
4: Well, first of all, I'm just thrilled and happy that Pete's okay. We were all worried sick, and, and I'm glad that, that things are better. Um, I, I don't think this is a cheap acquisition at 13 times sales, and, and I think it's actually not an accretive deal for PayPal who's not cheap either. But but, you know, they, they certainly with their overpriced currency or maybe not, I think, could be doing other things that certainly they are laser focused on engagement. I get that this could be seen as an extension of their honey acquisition, which was their I think, previously their largest acquisition. Uh, I, I just I, I like Dan's idea. This this makes a lot more sense for for a major, major retailer and big box, et cetera, to to really be the funnel. Uh, I don't see it for I don't see it at all for for PayPal. All
2: right. Well, Kramer says today's sell-off in PayPal could be an opportunity in uh, the stock. You can read more on his thoughts in the CNBC Investment Club newsletter. Head on over to cnbc.com backslash investing club or just use a QR code on the side of that screen to sign up. Coming up, a Facebook facelift. New reports that the social media giant is about to change its name, but is this the status update that is needed? We're breaking it down ahead, but first we've got an earnings alert on Las Vegas. Sands shares on the move in the after hours we will bring you all the details when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Las Vegas Sands. Shares dropping in the after hours on the back of the results. Let's get to Contessa Brewer for more on the quarter. Contessa.
0: Hello, Melissa. COVID is cramping that rebound in Asia. Sporadic cases in Macau immediately reducing traffic. The VIP segment remains under pressure. Sands Macau executives just said on the earnings call, China will open up when it can control an outbreak. Not just vaccinations, but with medicinal treatments as well. Sands says the underlying demand, though, has been strong, but brief, you know, a week or a few at a time. CEO Rob Goldstein said on the call he anticipates the real recovery in 2022. And he says it won't be completely dependent on the Chinese visitor. He says Korea, Singapore, Malaysia, all of those countries opening could mean a billion dollars or more for Sands. In Singapore, in the meantime, the government opens more travel lanes to allow a boost in visitation to Marina Bay Sands. And Goldstein says Las Vegas is really the blueprint for recovery. What's the path here? Open up and just let the pent up demand explode. He says he can't pinpoint a date when that will happen in Asia, but he says when it happens, it will be powerful. In the meantime, the leadership team says they are taking a long term approach, investing for the future, looking for opportunities in digital and a really blunt answer here when they were asked about this process for renewing concessions in Macau, Rob Goldstein said, point blank, he sees no chance of Sands losing its opportunity to continue operating in Macau. So it was a pretty bold statement from Rob Goldstein on the call there, Melissa.
2: Yep, we'll see if That uh, placates investors. Contessa, thank you. Contessa Brewer. Uh, I'm going to go to Tim on this since you are in Las Vegas. So what do you
4: think? Yeah, I mean, we, we have to talk about this here. So, um, as much as this is about you know, travel restrictions and it seems that obviously travel mobility issues in Asia have been a, a major part of the story, the headlines are not that, right? The headlines are absolutely the Chinese government concern on license renewals, et cetera, et cetera, and, and really a regulatory crackdown because otherwise um, this would be a major opportunity to buy uh, a stock that traded all the way down to its COVID lows. And it isn't that much higher than that. Um, but as, as Contessa pointed out, uh, Marina, Marina Bay, Sam, in Singapore is a major property, major investments, major investments in digital. Um, it, it, it's The multiple of the stock obviously has been chopped you know, almost in half, but the multiple that investors should be paying for a Uh, Asian certainly focused, but global gaming company uh, should not be half. And and I think it trades at seven or eight times EBITDA now. And I think Las Vegas is very attractive here. I am long. Um, So I I do think that uh, owning it now at these levels is, is a very interesting trade.
2: Yeah. Pete, what do you think?
10: You know, it's interesting Mel, but I think what you've got to deal with here is you, we really have to decide what sort of a position we are in with a lot of different companies, not just the casino companies, but in this case specifically the casino companies as far as uh, what the thing is going to actually what will happen, none of us really know that. And we know we've asked. I look at MGM and they have far less exposure of the US than than Las Vegas Sands or Wynn and they all put it up on the chart And and take a look, and you can see exactly the differences of what's been going on with MGM and the option in MGM has been absolutely dead on. They have been buying and buying and buying Mel, a few weeks especially, and the stock has just continued towards new highs. So I think for now, temporarily, it's just an MGM trade. (laughs) Actually, Las Vegas fans and Win will be trades again. But we've got to find out a lot more about what's going on in China before we can make that kind of a decision.
2: All right. Well, sports betting, crypto, the rise in trading apps. We tackle it all in the new CNBC documentary. Generation Gamble, which you can now stream on Peacock. So check it out. Coming up, a status update for Facebook. The social media giant reportedly looking to change its name. Will it be enough to turn around the storyline? And later, we are gearing up for Intel earnings. The tech giant out with results tomorrow after the bell. We'll tell you how options traders are setting up for that print. Don't go anywhere. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Facebook is reportedly about to get a facelift. According to The Verge, the social media giant is planning to change its name next week. The report says Facebook is looking to rebrand with the name more focused on the metaverse. But our next guest isn't buying it. He says this is one giant stunt in Facebook as Facebook tries to skirt weeks of bad press. Let's bring in Sohail Bloom. He's a former VP at Altamont Capital Partners. He's now an angel investor and host of the upcoming podcast, The Room, Where It Happens. Saul, great to have you with us. Thank you so much for having me on. So it's just a stunt. What are they hoping to accomplish here?
11: Look, I think this is PR 101, crisis management 101, whatever you got to call it. They're dealing with a bunch of crises, right? They have this whistleblower, all of the leaked documents. They've got the antitrust problems that they've been dealing with for a while. And they're trying to change the narrative. When you don't like the narrative that's being said about you, change it. Flip the table over on people. And I think this is a big part of that. But the reality for Facebook is they have a fundamental product, product problem that's happening right now. They're dealing with a product that is languishing within the U.S. market. It's no longer as compelling or engaging as some of the alternatives there, that are out there, especially for younger people. And I think they're just trying to change the script. They're trying to create something that is more forward-looking, more future-oriented. And this is just a part of that.
6: Hey, Hill, do you think, first of all, thanks for joining us, bud. Um, You know, you just moved from Silicon Valley here and you just mentioned this whistleblower situation here. And, you know, now you're on the the East Coast, the right coast here, and you're really focused on this creator economy and all the things that are going on. Do they have a bigger problem here? They're trying to think about the metaverse, but all the smartest minds who want to go away from centralized platforms, right, to do really more creator models. Is that part of this?
11: I think there's a really interesting thing happening. You're seeing it with Web3. I know you guys have had people on talking about that that are much smarter than me. But there is something that is happening fundamentally right now. We are shifting away from the centralization of Web 2.0, moving towards Web 3.0, and decentralization. And that is going to hurt Facebook if they're not able to capture that, and they're not able to capture that momentum that is occurring right now. So I think you're absolutely right. They're dealing with that in real time. They're trying to figure out how can we participate in that new world that's being built.
4: Sahil, so, it's Tim. How about just the concept of Facebook breaking itself up? Um, is that a solution here? We talk about this in terms of the sum of the parts. We know the stock trade's cheap. We know that there's regulatory pressure. You, you outlined that. That might make some people happy. Um, you know, forget the name change. I agree with you. This is Philip Morrison to Altria all over again. Um, how about splitting it up?
11: Yeah, fundamentally, I think the future for a lot of these big tech platforms is that they are going to be split up. And to your point on some of the parts, it might be better off for a lot of the investors. You look at Amazon, it's the same case, right, with AWS versus the retail business. And I think Facebook might see that as an inevitable future for them as they continue to face this regulatory scrutiny, whether it's in the U.S. or even more so within the European markets.
2: Sahil, great to have you with us. We hope to see you again soon.
11: Yeah, looking forward to it. Thank you.
2: See Brasa, what do you make of this? I mean, Tim was making the uh, comparison to Philip Morris and Altria. You can also maybe make the comparison, Uh, it's not necessarily one, you know, a great one, um, but Google to Alphabet. The the notion that a company wants to be viewed as more than just the one namesake product.
5: Yeah, I get that. And and uh, as I said last week, you know, when you look at the stock performance, it's up twenty five percent. It's actually outperformed a lot of the other technology. Mega cap stocks in the space. And to Tim's point, if they break it up, that's better for shareholder value. But the problem is they have a regulatory issue. So instead of having one company that DC is focused on, there's going to be multiple companies that DC is focused on. So I think DC has to get their act together and squash what's bad about Facebook or whatever they call it in the next two weeks.
2: You know, as Sahil mentioned, um, you know, some people might think that Facebook just has a fundamental product problem, Dan, but if they can uh, quickly pivot to metaverse and ride that sort of move to decentralized platforms, I mean, that's what the metaverse is. It's built on blockchain. It's it's decentralized. Wouldn't that just solve the problem in one fell swoop if we can get there really quickly?
6: But wouldn't you destroy like hundreds of billions of dollars of value if you were to do that? I mean, and then also, Mel, do me a favor, define metaverse. You know What Mark Zuckerberg defines it as, I think the smartest minds in Web3 think it's something entirely different and they're dedicated to building that. And so you know, the intersection of Web2 and Web3 is going to be the met- next major battle that's playing out. And I think Zuckerberg with $1 trillion market cap They know that. Right. And they're losing talent and they have the people that are working there, leaking things, the worst part about the company. So to me, it really feels like and I know this sounds like a hyperbolic statement. It feels like the best days for that brand are over. And it definitely if you lose a lot of the talent, we've seen this, you know, out in Silicon Valley for decades. It really does put you in a certain sort of purgatory. So, you know, I suspect that's where Facebook is headed, no matter what they're called in the next Mm -hmm. few weeks. All
3: right.
2: Coming up betting on a power surge. How option traders are playing Intel into earnings tomorrow night we will break down the action when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. We are watching shares of Intel as the company gears up for earnings tomorrow after the bell. Let's bring in Tony Zhang with a setup in the options market. Tony...
12: Yeah, Melissa, as you said, Intel reports earnings after the close tomorrow and it traded fairly actively today, about 146,000 contracts traded, which is about one and a half times the average daily volume. Now, what's particularly interesting is that the earnings announcement is currently implying the options market is implying about a four and a half percent move on this earnings announcement. But the stock has actually averaged almost double that 7.9 percent over the last eight quarters. So the options market is implying not a big move. And one particular trader bought about 2,300 contracts of the April 2022, those are about six months from expiration 57.5 call options for an average price of about $3.20. So this is a bet that's betting about $750,000 in premium that over the next six months, Intel could rise about 9% during that time. And this is a trade that does incorporate the next two earnings announcement. So for a stock that's largely been range-bound for the last six months or so, playing for a potential breakout on earnings.
2: Pete, real quick, do you like Intel? I do. I
10: own the stock still, Mel. I think there's some upside, but obviously there's absolutely nothing since May. So I I expect it to be very flat, actually, on this move.
2: All right. Tony Zhang, thank you for more options action. Be sure to tune into the full show. That's Friday, 530 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, final trades. Final trade time, Pete.
5: UPS, it's too cheap, it's going higher.
4: Steve the Vax, it's a buy, but keep it on a short leash. Tim. Citibank been underperforming the money center bank. Citibank for the buy.
6: Dan Nathan. Yeah, AutoNation's been a monster. It's pulled back a little bit. I think we see new highs soon enough.
2: All right. Thank you all for watching Fast Money. We'll see you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast. Meantime, do not go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now.